Welcome to the DWG Podcast. My name's Ben Brace. And I'm Ed Flaxman, and this is your melting pot of landscape conversations. Welcome to episode one of the DWG Podcast. Amazing, we made it. I can't believe it, it's crazy. <laughs> um, thank you very much, um, everyone, for your positive comments on the introduction. Um, that's an introduction to us two guys and uh, the direction we want to take this podcast. Thank you in particular to Jay Gotto, our first five-star review. I'll take that. Amazing. Yeah, it's really good to know that you guys are getting as much out of it as, as we are, and we really appreciate your comments and feedback. Um, just introducing this next step, the first episode, um, where we're talking a little bit more about um, in depth about the experience that we've had and the gaps that we've found in the industry as we've kind of progressed through it, and a little bit about the sort of different directions that we've taken. So, hope you enjoy it. Episode one, boom. So I'll tell you what, I've got a question for you. What would you tell a 16-year-old self? My 16-year-old Your 16-year-old self now, after the vast amount of experience that you've got now in the industry? <laughs> well, my 16-year-old self left school with one GCSE, so I would say just carry on, keep, keep battling on, and <laughs> take that big, steep learning curve that you've just experienced, and carry on studying mm. I am a little bit of an anomaly I would say probably <laughs> in the in uh, the the landscape profession I would say you know having left school with one GCC now I've got two two degrees underneath my belt and uh, a chartership so definitely um, and a project manager for a, a very well established charity and, and well, a big yeah. figure in the industry me personally, well, big figure, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> literally as well as figuratively. But I think it kind of leads to what would you tell any sixteen-year-old? Yeah, because that's, I think that's the question, isn't it? You know, when I was, as I mentioned in the introductory yeah. podcast, at that age of sixteen, I thought maybe I'd be a farmer for the rest of my life because yeah. that's what my you know family. Family had the family farm, and I thought I'd just carry on with that. And then yeah. it wasn't until that wasn't an option for me, and my careers advisor sat me down and said, "What do you want to do? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you need to go to university." Effectively, that's what we were, the guide was then. That's what we were being told. Yeah. And and what are you going to study? And it was almost like a shopping list. Yeah. With no idea what you wanted to buy, and all that it went on is my two week work experience that I had that happened to be for a neighbour who worked for a nursery that had a a garden design arm to it mm. and my favourite topic at A-level was product design I love creating things so they typed those figures into a machine and out rolled hairdresser or or uh, garden design and that, that was it and that, that was my introduction to garden design which then led on to landscape architecture yeah so I guess how, how, do, how do we change that in a way how do we make it a obvious choice rather than a yeah I found it by pure chance yeah, it's, it's a very interesting question because you know, having kind of spoken about it to colleagues and whatnot, I'm always fascinated by how people have found their path into landscape architecture. Mm. And I would say it's probably like a quite an even 50-50 split as to found it by accident or I heard about it at a young age and then decided to go with that. Yeah. Um, or the opposite end of the scale where... Um, because I sort of part-time lecture at Rittal yeah. University College, yeah. and on the landscape architecture 
that course there, actually there's probably 25% of the course that are uh, mature students that actually have already had one career right. and then they've discovered landscape architecture yeah. and thought, I wish I knew about that yeah, when yeah. I was 16 yeah. or when I was, you know. So I think it is, I think it's one of these slightly obscure disciplines that is becoming more known about but is still, I guess, a bit of an anomaly. And when you look at landscape architects on the UCAS, you're given sort of five or six bullet points of which really don't sell the industry, I don't think. And I think... Definitely not. (laughs) They're missing an opportunity there. And I suppose it's difficult because obviously UCAS, there's no bias to any one career. So they they obviously just give a a short summary of each one. But it's almost like at that intersection that, that they need to fully understand what the opportunities are within the industry because I guess what we're leading on to is there is a shortage of good quality um, employees coming on board I think and I feel like there's well, just interest I think just yeah, general in interest yeah. yeah and obviously you've got the Landscape Institute um, kind of pushing the Choose Landscape incentive which obviously is gaining momentum which is fantastic but it's just is there more that could be done to inspire and to sow that seed at a younger age where people are particularly now socially more engaged with nature, more yes. engaged with our impact on the environment, yes. and actually landscape architecture is a really good route to change things in a positive way. Yeah, I think the Choose Landscape uh, kind of initiative is quite a good one. I think again, it kind of sh- struggles with its own opaqueness and ambiguity. It's difficult to really give a fuller picture of the the whole the sphere of landscape architecture or the landscape profession mm. in a nutshell because it is so broad and it underpins everything yeah. as far as I'm concerned yeah and I, I guess it's it's the, the, also the question on who's responsible for getting that knowledge out there yeah um, obviously you know the landscape institute is creating incentives and initiatives like choose landscape to try and progress that side of things but as I said places like UCAS and also colleges and schools at that level yeah you know they don't even understand what the landscape architecture industry is about so so i guess it's not the right thing to say that actually they're responsible for it maybe it's down to us as landscape architects to keep delivering high quality public spaces and you know like yourself within the rhs delivering keystone projects that are designed for the public and in some cases by the public with their you know, community engagement. So maybe maybe that's the answer is we just need to keep pushing these cornerstone projects that incorporate all the issues, topical issues that we face, mm. not just within our industry, but also as a as a race effectively in to inspire people into the industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think you mentioned Adam White, obviously yeah. the Landscape Institute president, current president, and the incentive of maybe linking or closing the gaps between some of the annual like the flower shows the Chelsea flower show you know big public exhibitions and actually putting landscape architecture within those realms to get it publicly yeah talked about I suppose yeah, yeah. one good thing that I think is helping to push the landscape architect agenda if I can call it that is the green planet challenge that the RHS undertake every year mm-hmm. um, whereby schools are invited to put forward an idea to develop part of their grounds or you know a project in their local area etc and they have to be mentored by 
a, a, a professional of some description and quite a number of landscape architects are helping out on that which is which is really a positive thing mm-hmm. because again it, it helps to break those assumptions that landscape architects only spec the, the hard landscaping and leave the kind of the green fluffy bits to a garden designer or a horticulturalist etc and I think actually you know I know the scheme you're talking about and I think there's a lot of schemes at a younger age now where children are being introduced to more you know that interaction with nature and you know yeah. one of the big things is most primary schools now for example run a standard a forest school yeah. as part of that academic curriculum yeah and that's quite forward thinking in yeah. terms of and, and the realization of how important those the skill sets that you get from that and I suppose that leads a lot of young minds into you know how can I get involved in conservation how can I help in a positive way yes but I don't think they link that with landscape architecture. No. I think they link that with a lot of other disciplines, but not landscape architecture. So it's just whether maybe as, a, as an industry we should be running similar kind of incentives of getting people involved in the benefits of what we do on nature mm. and, and to inspire, particularly on young minds. I would take from that, yeah, forest schools, etc., etc. It's more about conservation, ecology, things like that, rather than you know, designing or um, management, landscape management, things like that. Um, yeah, the whole kind of push towards learning in a natural environment, line lessons, um, I think is a massive opportunity for the, for the landscape industry or the landscape professions to kind of take ownership of that almost, mm-hmm. I think, and really kind of push the landscape agenda at that younger age, no, definitely. I, I think that'd be a great avenue to go down. Because actually, that's where the seed is is sown, isn't yeah. it? And I know, you know, the upbringing that I had, and, and you know, the upbringing that you had as well. And I think when you speak to a lot of landscape architects, there's always something young on in their life that they can always link back to that's mm. got them involved. And you know, for you, it was being a market trader, selling plants yeah, to the plants, public, and yeah. involved in the nursery. And for me, I think it was being immersed in the countryside um, on an on a, an arable farm. Yeah. Um, and also having my mother being a very keen gardener and, and that's mm. basically how we were brought up. So I think more and more, as I mentioned, young people are being immersed in nature through education um, and just through, you know, the cultural changes that have happened in the past sort of 20 years that yeah. have, have tried to push more into the nature and, and the understanding of our impact on it. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, going back to that question of what would you say as a 16-year-old, what would you tell them? I think... For me, I'd probably just say, take that leap. And yes, it only came about because of an algorithm on a computer system that pulled up hairdresser or garden designer. But actually, you know, for whatever reason, that set me on a path that that was the right path for me. And I'd go back and say, definitely do that again. Yeah. And I think what I've learned from that is actually it shouldn't be per chance based on an algorithm. It should be an informed decision based on my passions for the industry, um, which obviously develop over time. But yeah to spark passion I suppose at that age you know we've, we've gone through the mill of, of doing degrees and MAs and I suppose maybe moving things forwards talking about that kind of sheer horror of leaving the degree and going into the industry you know I guess this, this podcast is exploring key junctures in our careers and this yeah. is from our experience other people have very different experiences uh-huh. but, but that was another key juncture I guess once I've made the decision to do the degree and obviously met your fine self, which is a... <laughs> I don't know if it's a benefit of my career or not. Or a know. hindrance, yeah, not yeah. sure yet. <laughs> but, um, 
but that was the, the next big juncture for me is okay with we've, yeah. we've, we've got the skill sets now to, to do this job and and where do we go from there so you, when you finish your degree and you were just about to enter the industry how did you feel at that point because the only reason I ask that is because I'm currently lecturing on exactly that trying to get students ready for the industry yeah. looking at their you know professional portfolios how well they interview and kind of telling them what's out there I guess and how to gear themselves up for a particular area that they're looking or interested in yeah but do you remember how you felt in that that situation how I felt wow um I I still you know I Still to this day, I have a very kind of socialist thread that runs through my approach to work and my approach to projects and how I design and how I, yeah. Um, so it was difficult to readily attach that to um, a practice or an approach to design because my, my knowledge of the profession was, was quite limited and so I didn't really understand where I could, well, where I could go. However, that said, the first job I got out of uni was, was with a national environmental regeneration charity. And that kind of reinforced that approach and that, that belief that landscape can really help people, mm. essentially, you yeah. know, help improve their lives, help, you know, make places better, make places work and just you know these tiny little interventions in the landscape I worked on just cycle links through this little piece of kind of derelict land and that made you know, instead of having to cycle half an hour around this big block you can just cut through and it's 10 minutes yeah it's um yeah you don't realise do you until you get into a working office in industry how much a small sketch on a plan can suddenly a year down the line make such a big difference to an individual's life mm. um, in terms of their well-being as well as you know practically and everything else mm. uh, that is the power of the pencil I think in our industry Absolutely. That um, but I think it's hard to look back I remember at that time thinking okay we're every night working till four in the morning to try and get our dissertations in yeah. at the same time lecturers are telling us that we need to get ready for interviews and we need to be thinking about what direction we want to go in. Yeah. And you're sleep deprived. You're focusing solely on one project, and suddenly, <laughs> then, oh god, I've got to actually speak to people in the industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's a good point, actually. I think more now than perhaps when we were studying is getting industry professionals in. Yeah. Um, and I know that's one of the initiatives of Rittle University College is is getting me on board, having you know twelve years industry experience coming in and sort of sharing some of that. Yeah. understanding that knowledge and saying it's okay to be scared yeah, and yeah. there is a lot out there so let's just kind of see where your interests lie and try and steer you in in a you know a, a direction but that might not be the direction that you follow the whole way through and, and that's okay but yeah I, I just remember not really having a clue at all no and, and literally came to interviews and it was kind of I got two interviews I went to two and I, I, I selected a company that I felt aligned itself with with what I, my interests were I suppose mm -hmm. yeah. um, and I guess I was quite fortunate that I had the option of two potential jobs and I actually funny enough chose the one that paid less because it was more important for me to find a better fit for I guess me as a person and yeah. my, my interests yeah. 
um, which was definitely the right decision. I, I tell myself hands down that's always the right decision. I guess that's I've always followed that principle of it's what feels right rather than maybe what you know is financially or for my career progression or whatever is the right decision. Yes, I've kind of followed my gut instinct on that. But yeah, that was quite a key junction, wasn't it? And I think that kind of did shape us a little bit in the direction that we took. Yeah, when we did graduate, yeah, that 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 was possibly at one of the most difficult times, sort of in terms of the global financial crisis. Yeah, I think partly because it was a it was a um, drawing a line, wasn't it? Yes. It was suddenly going hundred miles an hour, getting work out, producing exhibition boards trying to get yourself you know on a platform that you could sell yourself to a company yeah and then suddenly you leave uni and the door shuts behind you yeah and you're like okay now I'm in a completely alien environment yeah and I don't I don't know how to change that I think or to lessen that maybe it's just a rite of passage maybe it's like you know you've flown the nest now come on you know this is it this is real now or whether there's a way of engaging design practices in a studio environment and I know some institutes do do that they have sort of days out yeah and, and they visit offices and see what it's like um, did you find it less intense or more intense going into work I would say less intense yeah um, only I, because it became a, a, a nine till five or in inverted commas yeah um, but generally you weren't working the seriously long hours yeah and also the social life I guess pull back a little bit, which meant that you could manage more during yeah. the day when and just focus on work. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas at uni, there was a lot of, I guess, shiny coin syndrome where there was lots of exciting things happening all the time. It was sometimes hard to focus directly on, on yeah. any one thing. So, yeah. yeah, it was less intense. But then the more your career progresses and the more you push yourself and the more you hold your hand up and say, "I want responsibility," yeah, suddenly it then you then get back into the realms of high pressure and. But you're more capable at that point, Yeah, that's right. right. You know how to yeah. handle it. And, and you've grown up a little bit. You've got a bit of life experience and yeah. you can carry a bit more weight on your shoulders. Yeah. But, but yeah, that juncture, I guess, is it, similar to, you know, going back to the 16-year-olds. I mean, I was 23, I think, when I graduated the mm-hmm. degree. And it's kind of like, okay, what would you tell a 23-year-old? Yeah. And what would I tell the students that I'm now lecturing? Um, which in itself is a surreal experience because About. 12 years ago we were sitting on the opposite side of that table yeah. and now I'm there with grey in my beard and um, and slightly more stressful lifestyle I suppose <laughs> than I had then but you know what do I say to them and yeah. it's, it's kind of that's quite tricky how to word it because I know what I should say to them mm-hmm. um, as a professional but sometimes you think well I kind of want to give them a bit of the, the bleak truth of things as well and that, that right to passage and the fact that it is hard work and you you are going to have to do some pretty hard grafting to yeah. get to a certain level if if that's where you want to go. So, um, and I think that's what we we didn't have. We didn't have the the reality conversation. I think I remember one of our lecturers told us that we'd be on sort of forty fifty thousand pounds when we left the course and yeah. be running our own practices within five years, and yeah. that just was not the reality at yeah, all. Yeah, I there think we... that was the the shock for me, if anything. The longevity of the reality. From coming out of university to being at that director level or whatever. Definitely, yeah. But I think we're not alone in, in that sense in terms of land, the landscape professions. That's across the board in all of the built environment professions, yeah. as far as I understand it. Absolutely, yeah, you're completely right. Um, and I guess there's also the argument that actually as a young person, you can't have all the information and no. we can't give you all the information because that's a learned process. Yeah. Because when you finish the, de- the, the degree, of course, you went into industry and then it's like, okay, 
well now you should be doing the masters that's yeah. the next step and you think yeah. oh i've only just got the degree out of my head now it's yeah. the masters and that's as we said earlier a whole another level of information and really valuable information really explores concepts introduces theory and yeah. as it makes or made me certainly a much more i guess credible designer because yeah. of that and i found that knowledge and that learning and understanding more readily applicable at work oh definitely so once you're doing your masters it's you know you have that real greater depth of understanding yeah and it it just flows it really does right into what you're doing and confidence levels as well i think when you first graduate a degree level you go into industry and then you learn a bit of industry then you go and do your masters and you think actually no i can do this i've got some valid points now that i can put across i can kind of fight my corner a little bit yeah and then you go out into industry again and you learn a little bit more and then they throw this uh, pathway to chartership yeah. at you yeah. and suddenly you think, oh, I've got another whole level of qualification, yeah. another whole level of learning and you soon realise that that doesn't stop. Even after the pathway, that doesn't stop. But I know when I got the pathway under my belt, suddenly I had a huge amount of confidence that what I was doing, what I was saying, what I was delivering definitely was professional and I think that... Again, then I, I suddenly went out in industry feeling on a level, on a par with other professionals and I could really hold my own. Yeah, that was next level for me when I got my chartership. It was, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's um, the, the validation of your mm. knowledge by your peers that you've, re- you know, you've reached that level of understanding and you can go out on your own and, and Definitely. eat at the same table in inverted commas, you know, yeah. uh, with other professionals and other disciplines. Um, and feel like you someone's got your back you yeah. know the industry's got your back because you've reached a certain level so they're like you're welcome you know yeah it's exactly. like we'll look after you now because you've you've hit that level you're, you're at that point so but again it's another whole load of like fraying the nerves going through the pathway process and and again that huge learning absorbing information and again broadening your knowledge base yeah um, and then I think at the end of that process, when you're then spat back into the industry with that knowledge, suddenly it doesn't feel like a big change. It's, no, it suddenly it really feels doesn't. natural then. Yeah. Um, Having gone through it, and now I'm mentoring someone as well, mm. it's very, very interesting to try and frame my knowledge and mm. my understanding of things to be more user-friendly to, to my candidate. <laughs> and they're finding it quite difficult to really readily relate some of the um, syllabus to their work which, sure. is, which is a bit bit odd really but it's it's a challenge for me to um, kind of guide them through it and yeah yeah because there are these big concepts about you know law and all of that and actually because it is a effectively it's a, a curriculum in a sense isn't it that yes. they have to learn and as with any curriculum it's hard to mould every area within the discipline to that one framework and obviously you need that to assess by but actually while I was doing it and the people that I was speaking with and and learning with came from all different backgrounds some people from working in natural England on policy making and strategic thinking they weren't gaining project experience on the same level that I was in a, a traditional landscape design landscape architecture practice that's right therefore I was ticking boxes that they weren't so it's, it's very hard and I think that's the beauty of it is you learn outside your discipline or yeah. your like day to day discipline and it pushes your boundaries a bit but it can be difficult to fulfil that but yeah I mean I guess you know the, the podcast is called 
you know where where to go from here and I think through talking to you it's almost like actually as with any discipline there's there's milestones that you have to get over yes. and I think there's definitely better ways of communicating each of those milestones to people going through them now in terms of yeah, just saying at the end of it all it is worth it yeah. all that pain all that <laughs> suffering you know if I was sitting there and I actually said to, to my um, my lecture group the other day sitting where you are if you'd told me in 10 years time you're going to be running your own practice you're going to have staff you're going to be directing your practice in a direction that you absolutely want it to go yeah and and loving your job and having that work-life balance that everyone kind of strives for yeah but to get that you've got to go through the painstaking process of learning an industry doing a master's degree doing the pathway to chartership which is no mean feat in itself rightly so and learning and making mistakes along the process but in 10 years time you're going to be where you want to be and you're going to be happy about it Mm. then I would say sign me up right here but I think it's the knowledge of and there's lots of different routes you know earning your own practice is only one small route there's so many other areas but if you said okay think about where you want to be in 10 years time and it's going to be hard work but it's worth it you'll get there and that's where you'll you'll find it is that a difficult sell I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe I guess I guess when you're that age, you know, 23, um, which most of the students are, actually the concept of a decade is really hard. Yeah. Whereas you know us now in our middle 30s, suddenly 10 years isn't a big time gap. Right. So it is, and it's all you know. Again, goes back to how much you put on people's shoulders mm-hmm. at, at what time. And again, what this what this podcast is about is injecting passion and and I guess evoking change if change is needed. So. Yes. I think one of the things that I think particularly we've done is where we have got into a bit of a rut in a, in a company or whether it's at university or, yeah. or wherever, we've kind of talked it through, nutted out ideas, researched and actually either taken a left turn or a right turn, but just something that's changed where we've gone. Mm-hmm. And from each turn we've, we've made and, and had, I guess, the drive to do that, it's, it's resulted in, in something positive. You know, whether you're that 16-year-old or that 23-year-old or even someone that's in industry now, they've been with the same company for six years yeah. and they, they don't know if they've chosen the right career. They've invested seven years to become a chartered landscape architect and another sort of three or four years in one particular practice. Suddenly their, their, their passion's sort of waning a little bit yeah, yeah, and they're yeah. thinking, where do I go from here? Yeah. And actually you don't have to suddenly draw a line under it as a discipline and say, right, I'm going to retrain in something else. There's so much in landscape architecture that, you know, and you're a prime example where now I didn't know the RHS had landscape architects. I didn't realise they had project managers on that scale yeah. to deliver cornerstone projects that are going to be a legacy for the RHS. Yeah. And, you know... They didn't either. <laughs> but where you are now versus where you were three years ago working in a design practice, yeah. uh, rolling out large-scale planning applications and feel like, for you personally, that was a little bit soul-destroying. Yeah that you, you took that change and, and I guess it's trying to evoke the idea that there, the industry is so broad that there's, there's, there's so many directions there's you can go in. Space for everyone. Space for everyone, Definitely. exactly. I yeah, like yeah. that. Space for everyone. Coming back to the title of the, title of the podcast, where, where do we go from here? I have no idea where I'm going to go yeah. after you know these projects are built and completed. Hmm. I'm under no illusions that I'll be surplus to requirements. But we talked about that earlier. So just, I guess, to clarify, you're, you're contracted with the RHS. Yeah. 
um, for a, a particular project, basically. Yeah. Once that's delivered, there's no guarantee that your contract will be renewed or whatever. Exactly, yeah. And, and we talked about this earlier, and actually you were quite excited about that prospect because it gives you a point in time where another juncture, which, you know, the last juncture delivered you quite an exciting yeah. couple of years so far. I guess arguably the previous juncture before that took you to Australia where yeah. you're working in an incredible culture and beautiful landscapes and within a really innovative and forward-thinking design practice. Mm. So, yeah, it's always like, well, what's that next that next juncture? I'm almost a little bit envious of that because I <laughs> guess for me to have another juncture means that the practice that I set up two years ago has either failed no, or, or maybe maybe it's that the practice, I take it in a different direction or one part of it goes in a slightly different direction. Because, exactly, and that's exciting in itself. And I guess for me, it's small wins, you know, yes. the first time we employed someone, suddenly it's like, this is big, We've, we're go. suddenly a practice. Yeah, yeah. The first time we got a new office, you know, all those sort of first times, I guess, come with, with that. And that's the excitement that drives you forwards. But I think ultimately, where do we go from here? I think it's, it's the point of looking what's out there. Yeah. So we've both, I know we've talked about it a lot, we've both been in a situation where we've been sitting there at seven, eight o'clock at night in a design practice where you know most of the staff have gone home and you've got a deadline and you're sitting there nearly on the verge of tears because you're so stressed thinking yeah. is this what I signed up for you know I've done seven years to get chartered I've done a number of years in, in industry and I'm sitting at a computer close to tears because of this deadline that's stressing me out yeah. all I want to be is at home with my family and kind of living my life and is it all worth it you know where do I go from here and I think I like to think this idea of, of someone in that exact position listening to this podcast thinking this is exactly how I'm feeling now yeah. and actually there are horizons out there that are, are yet to be explored and, yeah, 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 and for me that was actually going from a large London based landscape architect practice to a very small garden design practice which was a huge risk for me in terms of career but actually was the best decision ever made because the skill sets that I got there and this type of work and the, I guess, reconnecting myself as mm-hmm. a designer mm-hmm. and, you know, with with the things that are important to me led on to me then creating my own landscape architecture practice. Yeah. And for you, it was a case of looking at a, a, a charity, effectively, a big organisation like the RHS, which are very well known in the industry. And I bet if I said three years ago, you're going to be working for the RHS, you'd be like, no chance. No chance at all. And I think that's then opened a whole new horizon for you as well and, and where that's going to lead on to. So, so yeah, there's always left and right turns in the yes, industry. Yes. So if ever I went back and told myself or, or you did the same, I think you'd probably say, just go for it, give it a go. It's an industry worth investing a life in. And as you say earlier, you know, we've got the opportunity to change the world. Definitely. And I completely... We will save the world. Save the world, exactly. And change it. <laughs> which I think go hand in hand at the yeah. moment yeah. but yeah I think it's important to to I guess shout how positive the industry is and can be and like anything worth doing it's it's difficult process well, yeah and a lot of landscape architects are are too modest yeah, in, oh, in, the, in the change that they are able mm. to instigate and uh, you know from just simple town centre improvements like a like a marketplace redevelopment or something, mm. you know, and really change how people move or greet or meet each other. Definitely. How they move through one space to another, enhancing a street scene whereby, you know, people can move around more freely, get from A to B quicker. 
that's really pos- that's positive change mm. across the board. Definitely. Every day. And I think it's so hard to appreciate that when you're sitting in front of that computer at 8 o'clock at night. And, so difficult. And so that's where it's almost, you know, just give yourself a break yeah. and take a step back and just really say, do that. okay, really what I'm doing part here, of it, yeah. definitely, it is, it is essential. And I think we struggle as a discipline to, I guess, fight our corner yeah. and give ourselves identity. And I think we, we don't need to do that. I think on a daily basis, we do that for ourselves and... Just by our project world. It, by, yeah. Exactly. And personally, I don't, I don't need recognition for that. I think no. it's enough to know that we're you know, implementing those changes for a positive effect. And, and now, you know, very topical around well-being um, yeah. in, in landscape architecture. And you know, us as a practice are linking with Essex University and doing a lot of research in well-being. And actually how when we're putting pen to paper and designing something that has the possibility to completely change someone's well-being, yeah, both yeah. physically and psychologically. Yeah. And that's really exciting. really is, um, yeah, yeah. And I think the more we explore those avenues, as all the scientific avenues, as we mentioned, with tree research and, um, and biosecurity, and we mentioned climate change, which is always the elephant in the room, and even things like Brexit, we have the potential to influence and change the world that we live in. So... And that's exciting. And at a 16 year old, that should be exciting too. (laughs) (laughs) So, thanks so much for listening to episode one. Really enjoyed putting it together for you and can't wait for the next one. If you need any further information, go onto our website www.dwgpodcast.co.uk or Instagram, and contact details are all on there as well. Yeah, get in touch on the socials. We love um, comments. Positive, please. (laughs) Negative if you have to. (laughs) But any questions as well, just email in any questions. We'd be happy to answer them. And, uh, yeah, we want this to be very much a two-way street. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening, guys, and look forward to catching up in a month's time.